Hey, it's Johanna Maskin. In case you have not heard, this week is going to be the first Republican debate. The Republicans are going to debate all of the issues, but one major presence, former President Donald Trump, will likely not be there. Ahead of the debate, I wanted to get a gut check in Iowa to hear how is the campaign shaking out? The former president has a lot of love, but whether there's a chance that someone else could emerge, whether this debate or the next, to take him on. So I talked to my longtime friend, Kathy Obradovich, who's a fantastic reporter in the state of Iowa, who has covered Iowa caucus after Iowa caucus and can give us a perspective. Kathy Obradovich, I am so thrilled to get to talk with you years after we met in Iowa. And I can't believe it's another Iowa State Fair. How's it going? Yeah, it has been a really interesting fair. And uh, by the way, it's great to see you again. Uh, you know all about the Iowa caucuses and the fair. So it's a fun fun conversation to have with you in particular. But yeah, uh, last Saturday in particular was uh, the, one of the craziest days I've seen at the fair. Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis were both there, along with several others, um, and a couple of Democrats uh, that we haven't seen much in the state, all running for president. And I think about a little over 118,000 other people (laughs) who were just there, maybe to see the candidates or maybe just to try to enjoy the fair. So it was definitely a crazy day at the fair. It was wild. And there was hecklers, which I didn't expect. We see hecklers once in a while. Uh, I don't know if you remember back when Mitt Romney uh, famously said that corporations are people too, my friend. Uh, That was in response to someone who was kind of shouting obnoxious questions at the uh, Iowa State Fairs, the Des Moines Register soapbox at the Iowa State Fair. So in this case, uh, there's actually now an added forum at the fair, which is Governor Kim Reynolds interviewing these candidates outside in front of the audience. And so uh, there were some hecklers of Ron DeSantis, pro-Trump hecklers. So the governor kept saying, you know, please be Iowa nice. You know what? We're in Iowa. And in Iowa, we're Iowa nice. So let's give everybody the opportunity to hear our candidates. So we'll stop. We'll stop until you do. But we're all going to have an opportunity to hear from each and every candidate. That's what we've been doing. There were some people that were escorted away. I don't know that if they were actually arrested, but escorted away from the venue. And then uh, there was also an airplane flying over with a banner that said, be likable, Ron. (laughs) (laughs) How would you like to be at the fair and see something like that flying over, which uh, is actually kind of a Donald Trump fingerprint in in the sense that when he first came to the Iowa State Fair in uh, 2015 campaign, he didn't do the usual venues then either. But he did rent a helicopter and gave helicopter rides. He couldn't do it from the fairgrounds, so he did it from a parking lot nearby the fairgrounds. And he just took kids up and he flew around on the fairgrounds. And, you know, big Trump, Trump on the side of the helicopter. In fact, I remember covering Bernie Sanders at the soapbox. And you hear the noise of the helicopter and Bernie looks up and there's this Trump helicopter flying over. Uh, You know, Donald Trump is, uh, he's a showman, right? And so 
he kind of understands the the Iowa State Fair culture, and he's kind of a carnival ride all by himself. So, <laughs> so it, it's very hard to beat Donald Trump at the fair. <laughs> oh, Donald Trump the carny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because it's just changed politics so much, Kathy. I feel like from. When I was at the Iowa State Fair, which is wild that it's like 16 years ago that we were doing, you know, taking President Obama there. And it just feels different from the outside. Is it different? I mean, some some things inevitably have changed because politics has changed. I mean, you mentioned hecklers, for example, and, and you're right. That was rare, very rare. People didn't have to be told to be Iowa nice. They just were. But, you know, as politics has been nationalized, the campaign in Iowa has also taken on some of that. You know, it's not so Iowa nice anymore. And and I, that's regrettable, um, but maybe inevitable. But yeah, I mean, so so things have changed. It used to be that every candidate, Republican or Democrat, would go on the uh, Des Moines Register soapbox, which is a stage, just an empty stage where they pick up a mic and, and they can talk for 20 minutes for anything that they want. Um, and it is, it's informal, but fun candidates would, you know, often bring their best stuff because they had to attract their own audience of people walking by. And now, you know, some of the Republican candidates don't want to do it because it's a mainstream media outlet that is hosting it. Some candidates don't want to be in that forum because they're afraid that people are going to heckle them, which sometimes, like I said, rare, but these days it's more likely to happen. And so you lose some of that kind of fun, innocent, old-fashioned type of politicking that we used to kind of enjoy and used to be kind of a hallmark of the caucuses. Well, the Des Moines Register is kind of a shell of what it had been. Gosh, it's hard to watch. I was back in Iowa during the Trump administration. It was for a wedding, and one of the groomsmen was wearing a Make America Great again, hat. And I remember my husband made a joke like, Joanna worked for President Obama, but she didn't like, you know, wear it on her hat. She'd keep it, you know, (laughs) more subtle than that. And the Trump love was on full display in Iowa. Is it still that way? I would say so. Yeah. Especially if you go driving around in rural Iowa, you're going to see barn signs. You're going to see, you know, big signs. You know, I think even here at the state fair, there are people from all over the state. You're going to see a lot of those MAGA hats and and Trump t-shirts. And and what shocks me more than that, actually, is the, the sort of F Biden, that kind of stuff with the words spelled out. Even I was driving behind a vehicle uh, the other day that had one of those just at eye level. And I'm like, you know, I don't have a car full of little kids, but I really wouldn't have wanted to explain that to them. (laughs) It's uh, so that part of it bothers me. That's right. I I actually saw one of those just by my father-in-law's house outside of Tahoe area. And there's one in Galesburg, Illinois, that I was like, this is in front of all of our children, like, do we want to use this language? I don't care who the president is. Do you want to use this language? I don't think so. But it's... Yeah, the political sentiment, you know, okay, that's your right. But the profanity and that kind of thing is pretty vulgar. Well, and it's so personality driven that is really hard to watch because I think we should be talking about, you know, what are our challenges 
as a society, what are the biggest issues facing Iowa right now or what would the voters say? Yeah. So when we ask voters, and this is kind of interesting, given what the candidates are talking about, but uh, very much they talk about economic issues. So some of them, uh, Republicans in particular, are, you know, are still worried about inflation. And there's some validity to that. You know, inflation has, is still rising, uh, although it's rising in a much slower rate than it was even a year ago. So it slowed down, but people don't feel better. And so they're concerned about that. They're concerned about health care. And there's, you know, obviously some really significant issues with healthcare. Again, the candidates are not talking much about that. There's a lot of concerns about education as well. But what the candidates talk about a lot is the culture wars. So they're they're actually talking about trans sports. Uh, Nikki Haley, as the only woman in the race, actually said that the greatest issue facing women in America today is uh, trans women participating in sports. And I thought to myself, you know, really? Is that what you're going to tell women? Are there any school districts in Iowa right now facing that dilemma where there are trans children trying to compete in sports? Uh, There have been a couple of cases. It's a very, very small number. But the governor last year signed a law that bans transgender sports participation. So it's no longer uh, allowed. She also banned, well, the the Republican legislature and the governor banned gender affirming health care this year. So we haven't seen a court challenge to that yet. I expect we'll see one at some point. But they've gone, uh, the Iowa legislature and the governor have gone really heavy on, you know, LGBTQ issues and the book restrictions Are you guys seeing banned books? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So a a suburb of Des Moines, Urbandale, initially came out with a a list of over 130 books that they were pulling off the shelves because they were not getting any guidance from the Department of Education about, you know, what books are still okay and which aren't. And then later, after they published this list of titles and, you know, their reaction was pretty, uh, as you might expect, they whittled it down to something like, you know, 85 books, something like that. But their school districts around the state are not being given guidance by the Department of Education. And, and it's, it's leaving it up to them to decide what is explicit sexual content that this, the legislature was trying to ban. And they, you know, they don't know what, what constitutes explicit. It's always amazing to me because I, you know, have parents even in our own circles who are very concerned about this and completely understand our schools, you know, should be focused on reading, writing, and arithmetic. But for the most part, they're getting that from social media, whether or not you cut it off at school. And my whole premises. I'm of the mindset, you know, parents, if we want to have our kids replicate our values, we need to teach them our values instead of withhold things that they're going to experience one way or another. So it's a lot of those fights. Meanwhile, on the healthcare front, I've seen some of the hospitals in rural areas closing consolidating care, um, OBGYNs, uh, not as accessible. What are those kinds of problems like health care that you're talking about in Iowa? 
Yeah. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I wouldn't want to be someone living in rural Iowa and, uh, you know, needing to uh, find prenatal care or to uh, find some place to have a baby. It is pretty significant. And um, the legislature this year has approved uh, legislation to, to allow implementation of what I think is a Biden administration policy that allows rural hospitals to transform themselves basically into emergency centers where they, you know, instead of having 130 beds, they cut way down the number of beds and they can get money then from the federal government. And so we're seeing a lot of that. We have had some hospitals close up totally in Iowa There's one in Iowa City, of all places, you know, is trying to be pushed into receivership. And um, I think that the university is going to end up buying it. But there's a lot of concern about access to health care on a lot of different levels. And, you know, once you get access to health care, you've still got the issue of paying for it. You know, the Obamacare exchange is at least a help for people who don't have health insurance, but the cost is still really high for people. So high. No, that's true, Kathy. It's so high. And when you weren't paying for that insurance, I mean, it's a new tax on you or it is a a heavy cost. Obviously, these are issues that matter, but are people going to the forums with the candidates and are they asking these tough questions and how are the candidates responding? That is a good question. And uh, some of those questions are being asked. The candidates don't always take questions at their forums. However, even Donald Trump at some of his events earlier this year did take questions from the audience. Now, the questions were often, why are you so great for America? (laughs) You know, those kind of questions. But, you know, some of the candidates are getting some legitimate questions. I do think also that candidates use their time in the selfie line. A lot of people just want selfies or autographs and don't even ask questions. Uh, That's kind of a newer phenomenon, I think. I've heard some complaints from candidates on, on occasion about how they kind of do want to talk to voters and all voters really want is a selfie. So that's kind of sad. A friend of mine just posted a column from rural Iowa that had an interesting theory from Vivek Ramaswamy that he wants to base U.S. currency not just on gold, the gold standard, but also on ag commodities. That would be Fascinating. And he was on News Nation, Kathy, on a town hall, and he said for his Federal Reserve chair, he wanted either Ron Paul or Rand Paul to be his Federal Reserve chair, which I was like, uh, (laughs) he's a libertarian, that one. Yes, yes. And provocative. I can't quite get over his idea that 18 year olds shouldn't vote unless they're in the military or can pass a you know, a citizenship test. So that's... He didn't really use his right to vote for a very long time. His voting record is pretty sketchy. He voted in 2004 and 2020. Well, which may be how he informed his opinion that young people aren't that, that engaged. I remember young people who were very engaged. By the way, before we leave Vivek, he did literally uh, rap to Eminem from the stage. I wonder who in Iowa is remarkably motivated by <laughs> him rapping to Eminem. I love 
don't think Kim Reynolds knew what to do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure she was like, oh, goodness, do I join? (laughs) The debate in Wisconsin is going to be one of the first time a lot of people are going to see these other candidates. I don't know that Donald Trump, I think the likeliness of him showing up is pretty slim to none. None. But you've gotten to know and see almost all these candidates in Iowa. Do you expect any surprises on that debate stage? I think there will be surprises. You know, it's hard to say sometimes what they are. Um, You know, I I think predictions about debates are often wrong. You know, people are always saying, oh, there's going to be fireworks between these candidates or whatever. So if somebody goes out and really bombs in a debate, it may, in fact, affect how people's perception of how electable that person is. And that could, you know, help them decide, you know, if if they're trying to decide between, you know, Ron DeSantis and Tim Scott, for example, you know, somebody goes out and bombs, you think, oh, well, this person really wasn't quite ready. Um, And, you know, it may not be a definitive opinion. I think a lot of people make up their minds over the holidays when they're talking to their friends and families before the caucuses. But people you know, their enthusiasm, I think, waxes and wanes, depending on how they think people are doing in the national media or how their perception of how electable they are. And there's the powerful endorsements in the state that are still kind of all on the table, whether it's the powerful families or you mentioned a female governor and there's a female senator who could all endorse. Do we have any idea which way they're leaning? So the elected officials are uh, I think are all going to be neutral. They're not going to endorse at all. Not before the caucuses. They are very protective of Iowa's first in the nation status. They don't want to put a thumb on the scale that would encourage any candidates to stop campaigning here or for for people to be gun shy of Iowa in the future. So, you know, Chuck Grassley, Joni Ernst, uh, Kim Reynolds, the the four Republican members of Congress, I don't expect any of them to endorse before the caucuses. And I would be very, very surprised if they did. There is an endorsement that means a lot. I think everybody wants to watch for, and that is Bob Vanderplatz. Uh, He is the head of a Christian conservative group called the Family Leader. He's something of a kingmaker, uh, fashions himself as something of a kingmaker. But his voice, I think, speaks for a lot of the evangelicals. And we already know that he is not likely to endorse Donald Trump. Um, He has publicly criticized Trump. He did not endorse Trump in 2016. He endorsed Ted Cruz, who ended up winning the Iowa caucuses. People forget that Donald Trump did not win the Iowa caucuses in 2016. And it was an evangelical choice, I think, that Ted Cruz was able to rise above. So I think that the evangelical vote, to the extent that, I mean, there's still a lot of evangelicals who are for Donald Trump, but to the extent that somebody like Ron DeSantis or Tim Scott or or somebody else could peel them off, that could be very, very significant on caucus night. Because those folks, they vote. And they'll be watching. They'll be watching this debate for sure. (laughs) They will be watching the debate. And I think that 
some of those issues like aid for Ukraine or abortion rights, and there are differences, subtle differences, but there are differences among some of these candidates. Some of those things that will definitely be something that they want to listen for. Well, and I was trying to remember how we were doing around the Iowa State Fair because we didn't peak until December and we were still worried we peaked too early with President Obama's campaign. I think we were still trailing behind John Edwards and Hillary Clinton nationally. I don't think in Iowa, I think at this point we were over Hillary Clinton, but I was trying to remember. I was kind of expecting DeSantis to do some of the same, right? Trail behind, but then build. And yet from the outside, I'm seeing a lot of chaos. Are are you seeing the same or what's it like on the ground? Is he building? I think that DeSantis is building in the sense that He's building a, a ground game. He's doing a lot of direct mail. He is getting to Iowa and doing these retail stops. So I think that he's doing what he needs to do to build a campaign. It is difficult being the main threat to Donald Trump because the Trump campaign then focuses their attention on him. Sometimes it is better to kind of be back there in the close third place let the top two duke it out and be, you know, either the principled choice at the end or to be the inoffensive second choice uh, for a lot of people. Because as you know, you don't necessarily have to win the Iowa caucuses to win the Iowa caucuses. You have to do better than expected. Donald Trump being the predominant favorite, even if he wins the Iowa caucuses, the story may be who comes close. And we don't know yet if that's going to be Ron DeSantis or Tim Scott or somebody else. I was going to ask about Tim Scott's campaign on the ground. Does he have good people running his campaign? I think he is not running as hard in Iowa as he could be. I think that he sort of has his eye on the fact that his home state of South Carolina um, is in play. He um, obviously will have to duke it out with Nikki Haley for South Carolina. And I think that's a major misstep because the only way we won South Carolina was by winning in Iowa. And South Carolina, you know, I don't know that they're going to go with a hometown favorite without seeing some sign that he can win it. Yeah. And I I think that he's staying close to DeSantis uh, in the polls. And I think that he has a chance to be the evangelical choice. So I, you know, I, I think that he's doing some of the right things. I think he could be here more, do more of the grassroots politics. He's got a good ad budget. So we're seeing ads for him. So I think that his presence is growing and I think he's growing at a good pace. And that may very well be uh, sort of the inoffensive second choice thing here. You're not offending anyone. You have your best chance to appeal to everyone, but sometimes you have to do something a little bit different to break out. So we'll see. So he's got time. That's the Vivek Ramaswamy model, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he's not doing anything the same as anybody else. Yeah, yeah. Tim Scott didn't rap at the fair. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. So from your vantage point in Iowa, given the enthusiasm for President Trump, is there a chance that President Trump doesn't win the Iowa caucuses? So it's very hard to say in August. I say that there is a chance because there's always a chance. You know, he's now got four indictments. You know, that's not really hurting him right now. But how that plays out could, again, you know, 
the number one issue, regardless of what anybody says for Iowa Republicans, is who can beat Joe Biden? You know, and also, you know, you look at the polls, we know that people can be evasive um, in polls, uh, especially when they're talking about Donald Trump. So I think there are some reasons to believe that his support maybe is softer than it looks. But, you know, again, it's so hard to predict anything with him. But the, the folks who are with Trump are with him regardless. They see these indictments as being, you know, Trump has successfully framed them as being, you know, sort of like more reason to, you know, want to wrest away the government from Joe Biden. They, you know, they, they talk about the weaponization of the Justice Department. And of course, this latest indictment was not the Justice Department, it was Georgia. But we're going to have to see how this unfolds. So there's uncertainty. If they're already questioning whether Trump is electable, this seems like it would add to that concern. I'm just so worried, Kathy, that this is going to be one of the most contentious and already fought elections if we go back into Biden versus Trump. Is there anything historically that would compare to what we're about to go into? No, I don't think so. I mean, I really feel for people whose job it is to run elections. Everything that they do is just scrutinized and simple mistakes. I mean, you got to be perfect and you still will be criticized, but any tiny little mistake gets blown up into some big conspiracy theory. It'll be interesting to see how many people just even refuse to do the job, do that job before we get to the election. It's uh, it's going to be interesting, but I am excited for the first debate to see whether anyone else emerges. Last question, totally off the Republican race, but... How frustrated are Iowa Democrats with the National Democratic Party after losing support for the caucuses? Yeah, you know, it's it's a mixed bag there. I mean, Democrats, you, you would think that Democrats in Iowa would be fighting to the death to keep the caucuses. Um, but the fact is that there were a lot of Democrats who had sort of bought into the idea that they're not democratic, that they're not inclusive enough, that they're too much work, which of course, you know exactly how much work they are, and that, you know, there should be an easier way. And, and going to a primary, even if it meant giving up first in the nation's status, is actually appealing to a lot of Democrats. Now, they have a lot of problems. Um, Iowa Democrats have a lot of problems. Uh, you know, uh, we've lost all of the congressional delegation for the first time in 50 years. The governor, you know, was elected by a landslide. We've got a supermajority of Republicans in the Iowa Senate and more than 60 elected Republicans in the House. So you've got a situation here where Iowa, which had always been purple and always this yeah. state, is very deep red right now. So Democrats have a lot of reasons to be concerned and maybe discouraged. And the caucuses are probably pretty low on the list at the moment. I have to say I'm frustrated. Iowa was a wonderful state to build for a lesser known and lesser funded candidate. And I loved Iowa voters and how seriously they took their job. So I am hoping, and maybe it's a little bit of rebuilding the infrastructure there before, but that we reevaluate that path moving forward. Because that engagement, oh, civics, 
right there. <laughs> Make the caucuses more inclusive and still try to retain some of that retail politics that is good for the state and good for the nation. It's good for the candidates to have to go through that before they campaign elsewhere in the country. We're going to have to go rogue probably here in Iowa, at least for a few cycles. And candidates will have to decide to come here anyway. And the media will have to decide to come here anyway. And that's how the caucuses sort of get back into the spotlight for Democrats. But it takes work. And there's some things that are out of the control of the people who are going to run the caucuses. So. Well, we'll be watching. And Kathy, I am so grateful for you giving us the insight. Thank you. It's been a delight. Thank you again to my friend Kathy Obradovich. Kathy currently serves as editor-in-chief at the Iowa Capital Dispatch. She's been covering Iowa government and politics for more than 30 years. You can find her on social media. But before Iowa Capital Dispatch, she was with Des Moines Register. She led national award-winning coverage of the Iowa caucuses and the Des Moines Register's Iowa poll. The Des Moines Register's Iowa poll just came out this week. And like Kathy indicates, the alternative right now in Iowa looks to be DeSantis or Tim Scott. The interesting thing from the Des Moines Register poll to me is that Donald Trump still doesn't have the majority of Republican support. He only has 42 percent. DeSantis is currently at 19 percent and Tim Scott is third with 9 percent. I will be watching this week how DeSantis does on the debate stage and if Scott actually starts investing more in an organization in Iowa, because without it, I'm not sure he has the momentum to take on his home state. But while Kathy is reluctant to make predictions, I have some for this debate. Vivek Ramaswamy is going to come out swinging. That's my thought. Google searches that night for his name are going to spike. And I think he stands a chance to hurt Ron DeSantis. DeSantis's memo leaked this week indicating he was going to swing at Ramaswamy. But I think that that may end up hurting him. Other folks I'm watching closely are Chris Christie. Honestly, Chris Christie has the ability to be a suicide bomber. He has got dirt on Trump, and he's not afraid to use it. And if the Republicans tie themselves to some of Trump's worst traits, this won't be the last time you'll hear about it. Nikki Haley also could bring a unique perspective to the debate stage if she chooses to, because I remember when Elizabeth Warren single-handedly skewered Michael Bloomberg. It will be interesting to see if she uses her voice on that stage. I expect Tim Scott and Vice President Mike Pence to play the adult in the room. But in that steady space, I'm not sure either one of them will win more favor. Time will tell. Look, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do rate and review. Find me on social media at Johanna Masca and share the podcast with a friend because I know there are more of us who want common sense to prevail, who want to talk about issues and continue to invest in an America that works for our kids and our future. To that end, we will continue throughout this tense election season trying to respect, empower, include. That's it for this week's episode of Press Advance. 